93 by Victor Hugo Part 1, Book 3 The old passenger slowly looked up. The man who had spoken to him was about thirty. His face had been tanned by the sunshine and wind of the sea. His eyes were strange. They had the shrewd gaze of a sailor in the candid pupils of a peasant. He was holding the oars firmly in his hands. He had a gentle expression. In his belt were a dagger, two pistols, and a rosary. "'Who are you?' asked the old man. "'I just told you. "'What do you want with me?' "'The sailor let go of the oars, folded his arms, and replied, "'I want to kill you.' "'As you wish,' said the old man. "'The sailor raised his voice. "'Get ready.' "'For what?' "'To die.' "'Why?' There was a silence. For a moment the sailor seemed taken aback by the question. "'I've already told you I want to kill you,' he said. "'And I'm asking you why.' The sailor's eyes flashed lightning. "'Because you killed my brother.' "'I began by saving his life,' the old man said calmly. "'That's true. First you saved his life, then you killed him. "'It wasn't I who killed him.' Who was it, then? His negligence. The sailor stared at the old man with his mouth open. Then his eyebrows resumed their fierce scowl. What's your name? asked the old man. It's Halmelo, but you don't need to know my name to be killed by me. Just then the sun rose. A ray shone on the sailor's face, brightly illuminating that savage countenance. The old man looked at him attentively. The gunfire still continued, but it was now irregular, and seemed to be dying down. A vast cloud of smoke was settling on the horizon. The boat, no longer under the oarsman's control, was drifting. The sailor took one of his pistols in his right hand, and his rosary in his left. The old man stood up. "'Do you believe in God?' he asked. Our Father who art in heaven, replied the sailor, crossing himself. Is your mother still alive? Yes, he crossed himself again, then said, It's all decided. I'll give you a minute, my lord. And he cocked his pistol. Why do you call me my lord? Because you're a lord. It's obvious. Do you have a lord? Yes, and a great one. Doesn't everyone have a lord? Where is he? I don't know. He went away. His name is the Marquis de Lantenac, Viscount de Fontenay, Prince in Brittany. He's the Lord of the Seven Forests. I've never seen him, but he's still my master. And if you saw him, would you obey him? Of course. I'd be a pagan if I didn't obey him. We owe obedience to God, and then to the King, who's like God, and then to our Lord, who's like the King. But never mind all that. You killed my brother, and I must kill you. Yes, I killed your brother, replied the old man, and I was right to do it. The sailor clenched his pistols more tightly. It's time, he said. So be it, said the old man, and he added serenely, Where's the priest? The sailor looked at him. The priest? Yes, I gave your brother a priest. 
you owe me one. I don't have one, said the sailor. How could I get a priest in the middle of the ocean? They could hear the convulsive detonations of the battle further and further away. Those who are dying over there have their priest, said the old man. That's true, murmured the sailor. They have their chaplain. You're about to cause my soul to be lost, said the old man. That's a serious matter. The sailor thoughtfully bowed his head. And in causing my soul to be lost, the old man went on, you'll be losing your own. Listen, I feel sorry for you. You can do as you please. I did my duty, first in saving your brother's life, then in taking it away from him. And I'm now doing my duty in trying to save your soul. Think it over. It's your affair. Do you hear those cannon shots? Men are perishing over there, dying in despair. There are husbands who will never see their wives again, fathers who will never see their children again, brothers who, like you, will never see their brothers again. And through whose fault? Your brothers. You believe in God, don't you? Well, you must know that God is now suffering. God is suffering in his most Christian son, the King of France, who's a child as Jesus was, and is now imprisoned in the stronghold of the temple. God is suffering in his Church of Brittany, in his insulted cathedrals, his torn gospels, his violated houses of prayer. God is suffering in his murdered priests. What were we on our way to do on that ship which is now perishing? We were on our way to help God. If your brother had been a good servant, if he had faithfully done his duty as a wise and useful man, the disaster of the carronade wouldn't have happened. The corvette wouldn't have been disabled. She wouldn't have gotten off course. She wouldn't have encountered that fleet of perdition. And we'd now be landing in France, all of us, like the valiant soldiers and seamen we are, saber in hand, white flag unfurled, numerous, happy, and joyful. And we'd have gone to help the brave peasants of Vendée to save France, to save the king, to save God. That's what we were on our way to do, and that's what we'd be doing. It's what I, the only one left, am on my way to do. But you've opposed yourself to it. In this struggle of the impious against the priests, of regicides against the king, of Satan against God, you're on the side of Satan. Your brother was the devil's first assistant. You're his second. You're finishing what he began. You're for the regicides against the throne, for the impious against the church. You're taking God's last resource away from him. Because I won't be there, I, who represent the king, hamlets will continue to burn, families to weep, priests to bleed, Brittany to suffer, the king to be in prison, and Jesus Christ to be in distress. And who will have done it? You. But it's your own affair. I was counting on you for exactly the opposite. I was mistaken. Yes, it's true. You're right. I killed your brother. When your brother had been courageous, I rewarded him. When he was guilty, I punished him. He had failed in his duty. I didn't fail in mine.
What I did, I would do again. Just as I had your brother shot, I would have my own son shot. Now you're the master. Yes, I pity you. You lied to your captain. You, a Christian, are without faith. You, a Breton, are without honor. I was entrusted to your loyalty and accepted by your treachery. You're about to give my death to those to whom you promised my life. Do you know whose downfall you're causing here? Your own. You're taking my life from the king and giving your eternity to the devil. Go on. Commit your crime. You attach little importance to your place in heaven. Thanks to you, the devil will be victorious. Thanks to you, the churches will fall. Thanks to you, pagans will go on melting bells to make cannons, and men will be shot with what used to save souls. At this very moment, as I speak to you, the bell that rang for your christening may be killing your mother. Go on, help the devil. Don't stop. Yes, I sentenced your brother to death, but you must know this. I am an instrument of God. Ah, you judge God's means. Will you judge the lightning of heaven? Miserable wretch, you will be judged by it. Be careful of what you're about to do. Do you even know whether I'm in a state of grace? No. Go on, anyway. Do as you please. You're free to cast me into hell and to cast yourself into it with me. Our two damnations are in your hand. It's you who will be responsible before God. We're alone and face to face in the abyss. Continue. Finish. Complete your act. I'm old and you're young. I'm unarmed and you're armed. Kill me. While the old man stood speaking these words in a voice louder than the sound of the sea, the movements of the waves made him appear sometimes in shadow, sometimes in light. The sailor had turned pale. Big drops of sweat fell from his forehead. He was trembling like a leaf. Occasionally he kissed his rosary. When the old man had finished, the sailor threw down his pistol and fell to his knees. "'Mercy, my lord! Forgive me!' he cried. "'You talk like God. I was wrong. My brother was wrong. I'll do everything I can to make up for his crime. Do whatever you like with me. Give me your orders. I'll obey.' "'I forgive you,' said the old man. The provisions in the boat were not useless. The two fugitives, forced to make long detours, took thirty-six hours to reach shore. They spent a night at sea. It was a beautiful night, although there was too much moonlight for those who were seeking to conceal themselves. First they had to move away from France and make for the open sea, in the direction of Jersey. They heard the last broadside of the stricken corvette, as one hears the last roar of a lion that hunters are killing in the forest. Then silence fell over the sea. The corvette Claymore died in the same way as the Vengeur, but she has remained unknown to glory. One is not a hero against one's own country. Hamelow was an amazing seaman. He performed miracles of dexterity and intelligence. His improvisation of a route through the reefs, the waves, and the enemy's watchfulness was a masterpiece. 
the wind had subsided and the sea had become less rough. Halmelo avoided the Côte de Manquier, skirted the Chaussée au Boeuf, took shelter there, in order to rest for a few hours, in a little cove which appears on the north at low tide, then headed south again, and managed to pass between Granville and the Chausey Islands, without being seen by the watchtower at either Granville or Chausey. He entered Mont-Saint-Michel Bay. This was a bold move, because of the proximity of Concal, an anchorage for the cruising fleet. On the afternoon of the second day, about an hour before sunset, he left Mont-Saint-Michel behind him, and landed on a beach which is always deserted, because its quicksand makes it dangerous. Fortunately, the tide was high. Halmelo rowed the boat as close to shore as he could, tested the sand, found it firm, ran the boat aground, and leapt out of it. The old man stepped over the side after him, and examined the horizon. "'My lord,' said Halmelo, "'we're at the mouth of the Quenon. There's Beauvoir to the right, and Wien to the left. The steeple in front of us is Ardavon. The old man leaned into the boat, took a biscuit, put it in his pocket, and said to Halmelo, "'Take the rest.' Halmelo put the remaining meat and biscuits in a bag, and slung it over his shoulder. When he had done this, he said, "'My lord, shall I guide you or follow you?' "'Neither.' Halmelo looked at him, stupefied. "'Halmelo,' the old man went on, "'we are going to separate. "'It's useless to have two men together. "'There must be a thousand or one.' "'He paused and took from one of his pockets "'a green silk bow, rather like a cockade, "'with a gold fleur-de-lis embroidered in the center. "'Do you know how to read?' he asked. "'No. "'Good. "'A man who can read is bothersome. "'Do you have a good memory?' "'Yes. "'Good.' "'Listen, Halmelo, you'll go to the right, and I'll go to the left. "'I'll go toward Fougere. You'll go toward Bazouge. "'Keep your bag. It makes you look like a peasant. "'Hide your weapons. "'Cut yourself a staff in a thicket. "'Crawl through the rye. It's high now. "'Slip behind the walls. "'Climb over the fences and go across the fields. "'Stay far away from anyone you may pass. "'Avoid roads and bridges. "'Don't enter Pontorson.' Ah, yes, you'll have to cross the Cuenon. How will you cross it? I'll swim. Good. And then there's a ford. Do you know where it is? Between Ancy and Vieuxville. Good. You really know this region. But it's almost night. Where will you sleep, my lord? I'll take care of myself. And where will you sleep? There are hollow trees. I was a peasant before I was a sailor. Throw away your sailor's hat. It would betray you. You'll find a cap with ear flaps somewhere. Yes, I can find one anywhere. The first fisherman I see will sell me his. Good. Now listen. Do you know the woods? All of them. All of them in the whole region? From Noirmoutier to Laval. Do you know the names? I know the woods. I know the names. I know everything. You won't forget anything? Nothing. Good. And now pay attention. How many leagues a day can you travel? Ten, fifteen, eighteen, twenty if necessary. It will be. Don't miss a word of what I'm about to tell you. You'll go to the Saint-Aubin Woods. Near Lamballe? Yes. At the edge of the ravine, between Saint-Riol and Pleideliac, there's a big chestnut tree. You'll stop there. You'll see no one. 
but someone will be there just the same. I know. You'll give the call. Do you know the call? Hamelow puffed out his cheeks, turned toward the sea, and made the hoo-hoo of an owl. It sounded as though it had come from the depths of the night. It was realistic and sinister. Good, said the old man. You're one of them. He held out the green silk bow to Hamelow. This is my badge of command. Take it. It's important that no one know my name yet. But this bow will be sufficient. The fleur-de-lis was embroidered by Madame Royale in the prison of the temple. Hamelow placed one knee on the ground. He trembled when he received the lilied bow. He moved it toward his lips, then stopped, as though frightened by that kiss. May I? he asked. Yes, since you kissed the crucifix. Hamelow kissed the fleur-de-lis. Stand up, said the old man. Hamelow stood up and put the bow inside his jacket. Listen to this carefully, the old man went on. Here is the watchword. Rise up in revolt. No quarter. At the edge of the St. Aubin woods, you'll give the call. You'll give it three times. After the third time, you'll see a man come up out of the ground. From a hole under the trees, I know. That man will be Planchenot, also known as Cœur du Roi. You'll show him the bow. He'll understand. Then, by a route that you'll work out for yourself, you'll go to the Ostier woods. There you'll find a knock-kneed man who bears the nickname of Mousqueton, and who takes pity on no one. You'll tell him I love him, and that he's to set the parishes in motion. Then you'll go to the Couenon woods, a league away from Ploermel. Give the owl call. A man will come out of a hole. It will be Monsieur Thuot, the seneschal of Ploermel, who was a member of what's called the Constituent Assembly, but on the right side. Tell him to arm the castle of Couenon, which belonged to the Marquis de Gay, a refugee. Ravines, little woods, uneven terrain, a good place. Monsieur Thuot is an upright, intelligent man. Then you'll go to saint ouen les trois and talk to Jean Chouan, who, in my opinion, is the real leader. Then you'll go to the Bia Anglo's woods, where you'll see Guité, known as Saint-Martin, and tell him to keep an eye on a certain Cormenil, who's old Goupil de Préfin's son-in-law, and who leads the Jacobins of Argentan. Remember everything. I won't write anything, because nothing must be written. La Rouarie made a list. It ruined everything. Next you'll go to the Rougefeu woods, where you'll find Mielette, who leaps across ravines on a long pole. We call that kind of pole a fert. Do you know how to use one? I wouldn't be a Breton or a peasant if I didn't. The fert is our friend. It makes our arms stronger and our legs longer. In other words, it shrinks your enemies and shortens your paths. It's a good tool. Once, with my fert, I held my own against three salt tax collectors who had sabers. When was that? Ten years ago. Under the king? Yes, of course. So you fought under the king? Of course. Against whom? I have no idea. I was a salt smuggler. I see. We used to call that fighting against the salt tax. Are salt tax collectors the same as the king? Yes. No. But it's not necessary for you to understand that. Please forgive me for asking you a question, my lord. Let's continue. Do you know the Torg? Do I know the Torg? Why, that's where I'm from. What do you mean? 
I'm from Parigny. Yes, the Torg is near Parigny. Do I know the Torg, the big round castle that's my lord's family castle? There's a big iron door that separates the new part from the old part, and you couldn't break open that door with a cannon. The famous book on St. Bartholomew, which people used to come to see out of curiosity, is in the new part. There are frogs in the grass. When I was a little boy, I used to play with those frogs. And the underground passage, I know it. Maybe I'm the only one left who does know it. What underground passage? I don't know what you mean. It was for the old days, long ago, when the Torg was besieged. The people inside could escape by going through a passage under the ground that came out in the forest. There's an underground passage of that kind in the castle of La Jupelière, and in the castle of La Unodée, and the tower of Champéon. But there's nothing like that in the Torg. Yes, there is, my lord. I don't know the passages you just mentioned, but I do know the one in the Torg, because that's where I'm from. And there may not be anyone else who knows about it. No one ever talked about it, because that passage had been used in the time of Monsieur de Rohan's wars. My father knew the secret, and he showed it to me. I know the secret for coming in, and the secret for going out. If I'm in the forest, I can go into the tower, and if I'm in the tower, I can go into the forest without being seen by anyone. And when the enemy comes in, there's no one there. That's what the Torg is like. Ah, yes, I know it. The old man remained silent for a moment. You're mistaken, of course. If there were such a secret, I'd know about it. I'm sure of it, my lord. There's a stone that turns. Ah, you peasants believe in stones that turn, in stones that sing, in stones that go to the brook for a drink at night. Old wives' tales. But I've turned that stone myself. Just as others have heard it sing. My friend, the Torg is a safe, strong fortress. But anyone who counted on an underground passage to escape from it would be foolish. But my lord, the old man shrugged his shoulders. Let's not waste time. Let's talk about our affairs. His peremptory tone cut short Halmelo's insistence. Let's continue, the old man resumed. Listen. From Rougefeu you'll go to the Montchevrier woods, where you'll find Benedicte, the leader of the Twelve. He's another good man. He says grace while he has people shot. In war, no sentimentality. From Montchevrier you'll go— He interrupted himself. I was forgetting the money. He took a purse and a wallet from his pocket and put them in Halmelo's hand. In this wallet is thirty thousand francs in assignats, something like three livres ten sous. The assignats are counterfeit, it's true, but the real ones are worth no more. And in this purse, pay attention, are a hundred gold louis. I'm giving you everything I have. I don't need anything here. Besides, it's better that no one should be able to find any money on me. To continue, from Montchevrier you'll go to Entrain, where you'll see Monsieur de Frotte, from Entrain to La Jupelière, where you'll see Monsieur de Rochecote, from La Jupelière to Noireux, where you'll see the Abbé Baudouin. Will you remember all that? As well as I remember the Lord's Prayer. You'll see Monsieur Dubois-Guy at Saint-Brice-en-Cogle, Monsieur de Turpin at Moran, which is a fortified town, and the Prince de Talmont at Chateau Gontier. Will a prince speak to me? I'm speaking to you now. Hamelot took off his hat. Everyone will give you a good reception when they see Madame's fleur-de-lis, the old man went on. 
Don't forget that you'll have to go places where there are Republicans and extreme revolutionaries. Disguise yourself. It will be easy. Those Republicans are so stupid that with a blue coat, a three-cornered hat, and a tricolored cockade, you can safely go anywhere. There are no more regiments, no more uniforms. Military units have no numbers. Each man wears whatever he pleases. You'll go to Saint-Mervé and see Goyer, known as Grandpierre. You'll go to the cantonment of Parnay, where there are men with blackened faces. They put gravel in their muskets with a double charge of powder to make more noise. They do well. Above all, tell them to kill, kill, kill. You'll go to the black cow camp, which is on high ground in the middle of the Charny woods, and then to the oat camp, and then to the green camp, and then to the ant camp. You'll go to the Grand Bordage, which is also called Eau du Pre, and which is inhabited by a widow whose daughter is married to Treton, known as the Englishman. Grand Bordage is in the parish of Caelan. You'll visit Épineux-le-Chevreuil, Cie-le-Guillaume, Peron, and all the men who are in all the woods. You'll have friends, and you'll send them to the edges of the O-men and the Ba-men. You'll see Jean Treton in the parish of Vege, Sans Regret at Bignon, Chambord at Bonchamp, the Corban brothers at Maisoncelle, and Petit Saint-Peur at Saint-Jean-sur-Herve. He's the same man who's also called Bourdoiseau. When you've done all that, and given the watchword, rise up in revolt, no quarter, everywhere, you'll join the Grand Army, the Catholic and Royal Army, wherever it may be. You'll see Delbay, de Lescure, La Roche-Jacqueline, and all the other leaders who are still alive. You'll show them my badge of command. They know what it is. You're only a sailor, but Kathleenau is only a carter. Tell them this for me. It's time to wage both kinds of war together, the big kind and the little kind. The big kind makes more noise. The little kind does more work. The war in Vendée is good. The Shawan uprising is worse. And in civil war, the worst is the best. The goodness of a war is judged by the amount of evil it does. He paused. Hamelow, I'm telling you all this. You don't understand words, but you understand things. I acquired confidence in you from watching you handle the boat. You don't know geometry, yet you perform amazing nautical movements. A man who can control a boat can pilot an insurrection. From the way you handled that intrigue at sea, I'm sure you'll carry out all my orders well. To continue, tell this to the leaders. You'll say it in your own words, but it will be well said. I prefer war in the forest to war on the plains. I have no desire to line up a hundred thousand peasants in front of the blues muskets at Monsieur Carnot's artillery. Within a month, I want to have half a million killers lying in ambush in the woods. The Republican army is my quarry. We'll fight by poaching. I'm the strategist of the underbrush. There's another expression you won't understand, but it doesn't matter. You'll understand this. No quarter and ambushes everywhere. I want to imitate the Shuan uprising more than the war in Vendée. Add that the English are with us. We'll catch the Republic between two fires. All of Europe is helping us. It's time to put an end to the revolution. 
Kings are waging a war of kingdoms against it. We'll attack it with a war of parishes. That's what you'll say. Do you understand? Yes, everything must be burned and everyone put to the sword. That's right. No quarter. Not to anyone. That's right. I'll go everywhere. And be careful. In this region, it's easy to become a dead man. Death doesn't concern me. A child taking his first steps may be wearing out his last shoes. You're a brave man. And what if someone asks me your name, my lord? It mustn't be known yet. You'll say you don't know it, and you'll be telling the truth. Where will I see you again, my lord? Wherever I am. How will I know where you are? Everyone will know. Within a week, everyone will be talking about me. I'll make examples. I'll avenge the king and the church. And you'll recognize clearly that I'm the man they're talking about. I understand. Don't forget anything. Don't worry. Go now. May God guide you. Go. I'll do everything you've told me. I'll go. I'll talk. I'll obey. I'll command. Good. And if I succeed, I'll make you a knight of St. Louis, like my brother. And if I fail, you'll have me shot, like your brother. So be it, my lord. The old man bowed his head and seemed to fall into a stern reverie. When he looked up, he was alone. Hamela was only a black speck, vanishing in the distance. The sun had just set. The sea mews and black-headed gulls were flying home, away from the open sea. The kind of restlessness that precedes the night could be felt in the air. The tree frogs were croaking. The jacksnipes flew whistling from pools of water. The gulls, rooks, and crows were making their evening uproar. The shorebirds were calling to one another. But there was no human sound. The solitude was deep. Not one sail in the bay, not one peasant in the countryside. All was deserted as far as the eye could see. The great sand thistles were quivering. The white sky of twilight cast a wan light over the shore. In the distance, the pools in the dark plain looked like sheets of tin placed on the ground. The wind was blowing in from the sea.